and welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with more sacks. How you doing, MB? It's good to be back, pal. Good to see you. It's nice to see you, too. Um, you must still be out in Arizona because you are fully dressed. Um, I know it's <laughs> that you have clothes on, um, and I see your St. Anthony's medal, the patron saint of lost causes around your neck. Yep, uh, I got uh, three for one. I'm sending one <laughs> off to... Crazy Kathy. Uh, yeah. So speaking of which, um, before we get into that, um, I do want to take a minute because I am here in New York where it is cold. It's seven degrees out. Um, and there was a horrific fire in the Bronx in which 19 oh, people lost yeah. their lives. Um, and just, I just want to thank the members of the FDNY, which I have few are near and dear to my heart. And I want to personally publicly but privately thank Matt Gagan and Victorio. Personally, they did me a favor. So while the guys up in the Bronx fighting the fires get a lot of the headlines, some of the guys that were not there did me a, a very important favor. And I want to thank Victorio and Gagan for that first and foremost, before we start fooling around and going back in time through our old episodes and targeting none other than Kathy, ARK, and we'll go down the list. Yeah, um, yeah. that was a... Uh... That was a tragedy. You know, it just, it seems like so often you hear about in these lower income neighborhoods, the heat's a problem and people are using space heaters and there's not enough, uh, you know, fire retardant materials and not enough fire extinguishers. And, uh, Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awful. So. Landlords on the, uh, on the, on the mayor's staff. So. Oh, well, for now. For the new New York City mayor, yeah, exactly. Aye, so. aye. Before we, right, let's let's get out of that sewer. Let's, um, let's get out. Yeah, it's too. So bad. so, too so bad. it's nice to see you. I've missed you. I haven't seen. You I know, know, we did we did the holiday special, which was uh, you know I enjoyed. I love listening very, to myself. It's very well you received. Yeah, it was very well received. Yeah, it was great. There's nothing better than you, listening to you and me yuck it up with Kevin and Kevin and Patrick and Lena. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that that we did that, and I I, I want to thank Kevin for that. That was wonderful. Um, but it feels like I haven't talked to you in months, uh, man. It's a, it's been a long time. It, it's probably been a couple of weeks, but so much has so much has happened. Uh, I mean, just the, whether it's uh, the couple of guilty verdicts for um, Gislaine and uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Mm -hmm. um, now Prince Andrew thrown mm -hmm. under the bus by the Queen. Mm -hmm. um, poor guy. Jeez, yeah, it's just it's sad. You, you hate to just, see it. Yep, just terrible. Uh, he's going away. By the way, I mean, I oh. know we like. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's yeah. 
I, so, uh, hold on while I pick my jaw up off the floor. You you really think so? I haven't paid that close of attention. Oh, really? Yeah. What's oh, he, yeah. what are they gonna what is I know he has like multiple cases. What is what's his most serious charge? Something that he's well, gonna do time for? Yeah, I think uh you know the, uh sex with underage oh. women. Oh all right. Well yeah. since you got the Elizabeth Holmes verdict correct. And the Ghislaine Maxwell. Yes. Correct, can I can yeah. I dispute can, can, can I get can I get a little credit for for Elizabeth you know they didn't really nail her nail her they gave she she was not guilty on some on some if he counts I know they got her on the important stuff and she will do time which is what you correctly predicted but there yeah. was a little bit of hope there I had a little bit of a glimmer of hope for some time there so first trading uh um, mention of the of the day. Hope is not a strategy. I <laughs> please thank you. Um, so uh, you know, I went out. I rode for three hours today, and I'm starting to. I can feel my body starting to to take to the fitness a little bit, which is a good which is a good feeling. Just in time to go back to seven degrees. Yeah. Um, but uh, so be it. But I had a lot of time to think about things on the ride. And, and, you know, I've probably done this show today three times already in my head. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, the trick is trying to get it out on, out on paper. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that is a little weird is we've been watching the markets for a couple of weeks and you and I haven't been talking about it. So I can't remember what we've talked about, what we haven't talked about, but um, what I saw between the last podcast and this one is, uh, and I posted it on our website, I think, the results of Ray Dalio for the last 10 years. And I think in one of the funds, it's a compound annual rate of return of 1.4%. So this, this is right in my kill zone. <laughs> Where do I begin? Mm -hmm. um, Let's go back. You want to go back and what to the to the halcyon days of Bridgewater because in the beginning it, it was good, right? It, when it when it when it was it was good I, I for a know. while. I, I okay. don't. I don't. I okay. don't know. I mean, okay. maybe. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, I've pointed out in past episodes, is you know these guys have the ability. to twist these statistics around and is uh poor kathy discovered the more money you have to manage the harder it is right so um i would imagine right out of the gate bridgewater did a, a really nice job and um you know the research i think i've told you in the past was excellent uh i think Rob Prince is one of the guys there. I forget the other guy's mm -hmm. name. It'll come to me. George but, or something, yeah. Mm, mm. Anyway, uh, but uh, the the Bridgewater thing is is a fascinating study for me because here you have a person that is, once again, I think I posted this on the website. He's worth $17 billion. Okay. One seven, 17. Mm -hmm. And... In the last 10 years, you know, he hasn't probably earned the T-bill rate of return. Okay. But 
like that famous Shakespeare play, Inside Trading, or um, yeah, Trading Places. Mm-hmm. Duke and Duke get the commissions, right? Yep, exactly. So uh, here he's made no money for clients, really, yet he's gotten to be paid billions of dollars. And the 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 most amazing thing about this to me is he's writing books. He's telling everybody how smart he is. He's a They've got this thing called radical transparency. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a little radical transparency for you. Um, Ray, um, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, I can do that job and you only have to pay me a billion seven. How's that? (laughs) And and today only, today only, $800 million. You know, if you were, if you were at Bridgewater, they, the radical transparency consists of, a constantly updated, available to everyone on the network grading system, almost like, and, and you also get like a little baseball card with your strengths and weaknesses. So, so maybe you could author your own, you know, little baseball card where you list your strengths and weaknesses for your own, you know, radical transparency for, for your fellow associates at Bridgewater. Could you imagine? Well, uh, I sort of, because uh, one was I, as you know, was a manager for, a number of years, and in my radical transparency, okay, I did a couple of things. One is I never kept track of days off. Like, mm-hmm. come to work, don't come to work, you know, whatever. Just, you know, mind your mm-hmm. panel, get mm-hmm. your job done, and if your job is making money, then you should be making money. Um, the other thing is I don't think – in all of my days of managing people, I ever gave a single review. Wow. Ma- yeah. Imagine that. I, I just, what, I don't, yeah. I mean, I can understand. So for younger people, um, maybe talking about what they did well or what they did poorly. With, you know, I mean, I guess that makes sense. For me, um, I just, I didn't see the point of doing it four times a year. Like, I think I said this to you not that long ago. If somebody fucked something up, it was like, come with me. And we walked into the photocopy room on the trading floor and I shut the door. And I'm like, we do this, we don't do that. Or maybe a longer conversation might have been in my office. But what's the point of waiting months and months and months to talk about this? So the Bridgewater thing I find uh, interesting because... I've obviously I've kind of been in the markets along the same time as they have. And so uh, I knew one person who worked there, a uh, person lived in Greenwich and is a, uh, uh, I think they call it a C-suite executive. I, I don't want to say exactly, mm-hmm. but um, I met him uh on the uh, Greenwich cocktail party circuit. Mm-hmm. And so I ran into him maybe a half a dozen times over a couple of year period. And without exception, he would moan about how bad the place sucked. 
And Interesting. they were so paranoid that uh, he wasn't allowed to take work home with him. Yeah. So if he wanted documents to review, he had to do them at the office. He couldn't. He couldn't take. Yeah, home. yeah. They're and, famous for their opacity. Yeah, and uh, so he would say, you know, he'd be working on some, and some junior guy would come in and start debating him up with about some decision he had made six months ago, and he's like, I can't get my fucking work done. Wow. These yeah. kids come in and they think, you know, the world revolves around them and I'm supposed to stop doing what I'm doing and answer their questions. And and then if they don't like my answer, then they're going to go around me or something. It's like, okay. And, and coming back to the point I wanted to make, I think those returns are laughable. Yeah. Oh, they, I, they just, it, it just, I can't, there's two parts of it. One is, uh, it's staggeringly bad. That's number one. Number two, he's unabashedly taken the money, right? Oh yeah. And then he's writing books and going to um, buddying up to China, D Davos, where all the <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, how yeah? How farcical is this? I know. I know. Yeah. So, no, I anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I I see. Part of the problem for me is. Uh, I look at all these things that take place on Wall Street, and everyone is a little bit of the, woo, Wall Street, those guys are smart. They're, I'm like, you know, not not really. I mean, they're not any, <laughs> they're not any smarter than anybody else, you know? And yep. uh, so, for instance, there's a fellow who I worked with very briefly uh, at a hedge fund, really, uh, really talented guy. Um, I got along nicely with him. He was always very respectful to me. Um, but, uh, most market participants didn't care for him. He treated them really, really poorly. So somebody in the financial times posted his returns. Um, so in 2015, he was down 3.2%. In 2016, he was up 20, 2017 down 3.6, 2018 up 2%, 2019 up 9.3, 2020 43.8, killed it, 2021 down 26%. Okay, so this, this person who wrote in the FT said, they calculate approximately a 4% annualized rate of return. Okay. Um, somewhere else in the article talked about the guys running this fund split up like 50 or 75 million pounds of income for 2020. Not bad. So, yeah, well, pretty good for 4% annualized rate of return. Yeah. And what What's most impressive is uh, since the fund was down 26% in 2021. They opened it to new investors and immediately drew in a billion dollars. In Who are these people? Who are these investors? Whose money are they running? Answer my, can you, can you answer that? <laughs> what am I on a fucking trial here? What am I, I'm, I'm trying to point these things out. It's the people who use the fund of fund schmoes. So there's this story. I like, I don't know if I told you this one. I'm going to tell it to you again. So, there, so there's a guy, He's out of town on a business trip, and 
you know, he's out of town for a few days. And I'm going to take a sip of water. Hold mm-hmm. on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please. Fun to find. Uh, so he's out at a business dinner, and he's taking a cab back to the hotel. And he's talking to the cabbie. And he's kind of, ah, oh, I've had a little too much to drink. I'm kind of lonely. And the cabbie's like, well, are you, are you looking for some female companionship, perhaps? And the guy says, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. And he says, okay. And he drives him to a place, and he says, walk up to the door and knock on the door. And a little slot will open. You say, you're here to see Karen. So the guy tips the cab in, goes to the door, knocks on the door. A little slot opens. What do you want? The guy says, uh, I'm here to see Karen. Okay, $200. He puts the $200 through the door, slides it shut. Nothing happens. Knocks on the door, slides open. Hey, I said, I'm here to see Karen. Ah, you English? Yes. $200. Puts the $200 in. Thing slides shut. Nothing happens. Bangs on the door. What do you want? Look, a cabbie told me come here, I could get screwed. And uh, the window shuts. And the guy's standing, doesn't know what to do. So he pounds on the door and thing slides open. What do you want? Okay. I want to get fucked. And in perfect English, the voice is, what, again? (laughs) (laughs) It's the cabbie's cousin. (laughs) That's a a great system. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know know a better system? You take people's money, you charge them two and 20, and then you just sit on the fees. How How could you sit with your money in there for that? Call it a three or four year... How much? What's the time horizon on the money in that fund? I don't, fuck, I don't know. I, okay, I, you know, because how could you be up forty and down down twenty six and look it back on those two years and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this here for year three? Oh, are you um are are you asking me the mechanics of the fund or, I mean, uh, well, you know, so these things have high watermarks. So, you know, if if you put money in and the guy loses money. He doesn't get paid a performance fee till he earns your money back. But Duke and Duke get the fees. Right. Right. And so if you're a $10 billion fund, what are you taking in $20 million in fees? Amazing. Yep. I, okay. So I, you know, this thing, this thing to me is, is, is farcical. And, you know, the man, Mr. Transparent, you know, ultimate transparency, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I'm, I'm shocked. And then you get Madam Disruption. Talk about, uh, talk about a disruptor. What did she do? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I like that. Talk about disruption. Indeed. You know, um, so, uh, with all due respect to my pal who told me how much did I short, which was nothing. And I've felt bad about myself 
Uh, what I'd like to do, if I may, is explain some of the textbook things I saw her do that I knew as a trading manager were red flags. Does that seem fair? Oh, please. I'm dying. Okay. So first and foremost, which we talked about was putting the positions up on herself. She kept getting money in and just kept adding and adding and adding to thin things and pushes pushes the price up. And there are, and I don't know that I've posted it, but there are plenty of charts that show that the average investor in the fund is easily down money. It's been everywhere. Right. You can't okay. turn a computer right. on without seeing the chart. Yeah. So as a trading manager, what I was constantly asking the traders was, do you love your positions? Okay. And the corollary to that would be no marginal trades. If you don't love the trade, take it off. Okay. Just for all hosts of reasons, whether it's real capital, whether it's real VAR, whether it's mental capital, if you don't love the trade, get out of the trade. And when you look at the lists of stocks that she owned, the list is so freaking long, I don't know how you can love all of those, all, each and all of those trades. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is happens all the time, someone will have a portfolio of trades on, and some of them will be doing very well, and some of them will do very poorly, and they will aggregate the P&L, saying, well, I'm up such and such year to date, so I have the flexibility to stay with the loser a little longer, right? And I don't think that's the way to go about it. I think each trade's supposed to be a standalone thing. And what I, I saw her doing, uh, amongst other things, was she was selling Tesla. And I don't I'm no longer, you know, running a department where I have analysts, but it would be interesting to know where she sold her Tesla, what she bought with it, and what she has bought how that has performed since she bought that. And my suspicion is it's done very poorly, which magnifies the losses. Other things that uh, were um, uh, red flags to me, talking about, oh, we love our positions. It's um, deep value. Like, okay, now <laughs> if we're at deep value at 100, where are we what? at 79? <laughs> Okay, we're, right. We're hitting the stops. Mm -hmm. right? It's like that. Do you ever see that Blades of Glory? <laughs> yeah, of course. It's like, what's colder than ice? Dry ice? What's <laughs> colder than dry ice? Oksana. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just a little slap happy. Um, so, you know, maybe it'll turn around for her, but uh, maybe. I don't think so. I, I think as Kevin Muir. Uh, that famous uh, raconteur said, uh, the bull market and bullshit is over. C can I give you a, a quick rundown of the top holdings, the percentage below their high? 
Tesla minus 15%, Zoom minus 72%, Teladoc minus 74%, Roku down 66%, Coinbase down 37%, Spotify down 40%, Twilo down 50%, Square down 54%, Shopify down 37%, Palantir down 60%, DraftKings down 68%, Robinhood down 79%. <laughs> Well, and plus, they're not they're not going to trade crypto, so they're done. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, there's some strange stuff. So let's go back to talking about the market instead of just picking on poor helpless. No, 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 I'm not done because she personally offended <laughs> me this week. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid you were done. <laughs> Out of the car, license and registration. <laughs> Go ahead. Pers- I, I, wa- I wasn't personally offended, okay? I let it go. I left. I, I walked away from her a long time ago. But this week, okay, she had the nerve to shoot her mouth off and take shots at Ford. You're going to come out and make oh. a quote that says Ford's earnings are ridiculous and she, she disparaged their electric vehicle announcement? I'm sorry, Kathy. The American public ordered 17 jillion electric F-150s and the stock's up 45% in the last five months. And you're going to call that ridiculous? I'm sorry. I am a proud owner of a Ford F-150 and I am a proud Ford shareholder. (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. So when you shoot your mouth off about my Ford and my Ford truck and my Ford stock, okay, that's sour grapes and I don't want to hear it. Okay, wow. so everything was cool until you took shots at Ford and you wow. called it laughable. Okay, might, that really, as, really, really bothered me. Um, might as well badmouth the United States of America. Are you might with as well. me? Exactly, exactly. What's next? Okay. You know. Okay, okay. All right, step away from the microphone. <laughs> I'm usually the one that gets wound up. Okay. All right. Okay. Take a deep breath. In through the nose. <laughs> um, so a couple of things uh, came my way this past week or so that I, I think is interesting in that um, it's straws in the wind, right? You can make anything you want of this. But it has been for quite a while now that by traditional valuation metrics, the stock market has been expensive. Okay, I, I know I'm the boy that cried wolf, uh, and hopefully a broken clock is right twice a day. But anyway, the price earnings ratios are high, the book to value, the book to sales, yada yada. yada. Okay, so there are two people that I know that are roughly my age, and they uh, had successful careers, and once the um, COVID hit, they decided to take a step back, let the dust settle. And then when the dust settled, go back to work and run it out. You know, like I said, they're, they're roughly my age. Both of them, uh, savvy guys, but, uh, equally, uh, disciplined, meaning they, they have good self-control in terms of spending, financial discipline, living within their means. Okay. So uh, as I spoke to both of them last week, the 
the conversation roughly went like this, which is, you know, I have this model that I built out, and it says what my run rate is, what do I spend a year, what are my earnings off of my investments going to be, and I'm going to assume that uh, they're going to earn a certain percent. I've got an assumption about what inflation is going to be. And all of a sudden I realized with where the equity market is, I'm, I'm done. It, 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 meaning if it goes up, I have more money than I need. And if it goes down, I'm not going to have enough. So ergo, I own too many stocks. And so why I find that interesting is because it's a boots on the ground thing, right? It's not some, you know, analyst at an investment bank saying X, Y, Z. It's guys with real money and real savings and having to put money to work and knowing what their expenses are. And with the run-up in the stock market over the last 24 months, it's like, and, and by the way, for as long as I've known these two people, and it's a while now, okay, they're diehard stock guys. It's not like me, which is, you know, flavor of the month. These guys are in, you know, come rain or shine, and they had a lot of sleepless nights during the downturns, but they believed in it. And now they're like, uh, yeah, time to get off the merry-go-round. Um, so I, I found that kind of, I found that kind of interesting. Um, now we've been pretty lucky, you and I, with the, uh, comments we've been getting from listeners. Mm -hmm. And so there's one fellow, uh, I never know whether people want me to mention their name or not, so I just kind of skip it. Uh, one fellow did a very nice study, and he sent it to us. And it was a atypical analysis of the equity market. And I, I think that, um, well, first of all, not speaking to you, I haven't had a chance to to talk this out, so this is kind of a rough go, but but the the basic premise is there's X amount of money. There's only so much money out there. And you can calculate what that is. And then using um, statistics from the Fed, you can calculate how much goes into cash, how much goes into bonds and how much goes into equities. And basically, if you look at just the direction of those flows, it will tell you which way the stock market's going to go. And it has some ridiculously high R squared, like 0.9 something. And uh, I found that really interesting because if you look, and this is all with a little asterisk, because I'm not going to guarantee I got this all right, but if you look at earnings of the market, let's say the S&P 500, 
the earnings per share, I think, is relatively stable, meaning you get ups and downs, but it generally grows at some constant rate over time. And even if it moves up or down 5%, it's it's 5%, right? But if the price-earnings ratio goes from 25 to 18, well, the stock's going to move a lot, right? And so that's where I'm starting to wonder about how all these things go because the price-earnings ratio, uh, people have said, well, the lower interest rates are, the higher the price-earnings ratio should be, this, that, and the other thing. But it it appears like the biggest driver of this price-earnings ratio is just things like um, buybacks by companies and the general level of price earnings of other companies and then the investor demand for equities. And so uh, I, I want to do some more work on that. But, you know, uh, if 10 years ago the price earnings ratio was at 15, and now it's a twenty-five. I I I don't think you can forecast that in ten years from now it's going to be at thirty-five, right? So if it if it kind of gets a more mean reversion type thing, there could be a lot of room to the downside on this stuff. So, like I said, boy who cried wolf. But the difference now is, you know, the two-year note kind of the benchmark of the the money market stuff, it's almost 1%. That's a big number. Um, Jamie Dimon, head of J.P. JP Morgan Chase, who's well-regarded, said he could see easily more than four rate hikes. Six or seven. Okay. So let's say six, and let's say they're 25. there, There was a day when you were young that they would go 50, but let's say 25. So six times 25 is 150, right? So the two-year note in a Fed tightening environment is not going to be below the funds rate. So now the two-year note has to back up at least another 50. Two-year notes in tightening environments generally trade cheap to the funds rate. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, in the course of a year, you see the two-year note go from 12 basis points to 200 basis points. I, I think that's going to get people's attention. Yeah. So uh, once again, I urge caution. Sorry. So listen to, <laughs> no, it's quite all right. Um, no, but listening to those old episodes, it's not, you know, it hasn't been a cry wolf thing when you've been spot on about, you know, again, like I, I know how much did you short it, but like, you know, that urge, you, you were dead nuts on that, you know? Um, well, look, the, the point of this isn't the point of this isn't to predict the direction of the market, right? I mean, I thought, I mean, if if it was, the gold call would have buried us long ago, right? I'm, I'm just trying to talk about stuff that's going to add some value to people in their in their life or their business or whatever. So I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't think people would listen to the show if you didn't have that gold trade on. Really? Does that I mean really I think, 
I really I, think people have, have latched on. I, I mean, I know firsthand people have told me, I mean, anyone that I talk to about the show, <laughs> Morrison is gold. Morrison is gold. I apologize. And I know that you've tried. What are you hard apologizing not, for? I, I, for, I, I, for? It's okay. For perpetuating the stereotype that you're a gold bug. <laughs> it's I know that you've tried to disassociate from, from that label. <laughs> It was one trade. It was one fucking trade. That's the best part. <laughs> so you want to know insult to injury? One of these, one of these uh, really expensive newsletters that I get uh, gave Cal. Mm -hmm. I, they're very good. Are you going to okay. turn on them? No, not yet. Okay. All right. Not okay. Yet. Not yet. Um, not yet. But to add insult to injury, they put out a piece on Friday, wildly bullish on gold. <laughs> Like, oh, in the in the market huddle lingo, they gutured the fucking thing. Our listeners know that because the list you've told the story about how when they said nothing, that's when it, when they said nothing, uh, yeah. that's when it was when it was good and it went up because they had oh said nothing on on yeah. their Sunday night newsletter or something. There was no yeah. talk. Oh, they that's weren't right. bullish. Yeah. Whenever they're bullish, boom, it's nine o'clock or noon o'clock. Turkey whacking you. <laughs> so, uh, one of our friends, uh, you talk about me lecturing you about no marginal trades. You have to have every trade on that you like, right? The whole thing. Mm -hmm. So, like a year, year and a half ago, I'm looking at gold, I'm looking at silver, and I got to bug up my ass about the copper. Like, the copper's going up. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm trying to figure out a way to buy it. But not just go buy some futures, but, you know, like buy some kind of option strategy so I can freaking arc the thing. Like I'm not trying to make 5%, 10% anymore. I, I just like, I want to say, you know, I'm up 50% or something like mm -hmm. that. So I'm skulking around in this copper thing. And, you know, I called a guy in London. I talked about the the London Metals Exchange, and I could buy some options. And it just, the whole thing was, was bad. It was just bad. So I threw my arms up in frustration, and I walked away, and copper went from 250 to 450 right? So <laughs> good for me. Of course, it dragged gold and silver with them all the way up. Not. <laughs> but uh, so anyway... Was it like Wednesday afternoon, maybe Tuesday after Wednesday afternoon, I get a Bloomberg IM from one of my buddies, and he's like, copper's gone sideways long enough. It's going to go up. And it just hit me the wrong fucking way. And so I go over to the stinking Schwab account that I have. Like, it's so bad, like, I had to reset the password. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'm looking, and... I'm looking which copper future, this or that. And and I find the thing and I go, uh, screw it. So I, I bought a, I bought a little bit of copper. And uh, then I go back and I said to my friend, I said, uh, look, uh, I just bought some. Uh, and I got the whole, oh, you, you goochered it, yada, yada, yada. I said, listen, I bought a five lot. And he starts cackling. He's like, ah, I got more than you. <laughs> and so, okay, great. The next day it opens a little bit lower. And all I hear in the back of my mind is, ah, I got more than you. <laughs> so I, I went and I bought another five lot. 
<laughs> and the next day, I'm down like 31,000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Emotions uh, and investing, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> so, <We've done. laughs> so now, no marginal trades. I'm sitting here with 10 lots of fucking March copper. What am I going to do with that? I don't know. Hope. <laughs> oh my god! It, All it, right. Well, it, as long as you're not turning on Ga- on on Gave Cal yet, um. <laughs> they're good. No, they're 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 good, but they're it's very long term, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, probably longer term than I got. But you know who's to say. How are, how are you doing? Because you know, even a year ago, you said that January was was the critical time horizon. So, can you uh, can you give us an update on that? On those options, are they how far so, away are we on them? Okay, so uh, I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I have about sixty percent of the position. In options that go to June of this year, and the other forty percent go between SEP and Jan. And uh, so, what I've been doing is, when I think we're going to hit periods of quiet, I'll go in and I'll uh, write out of the money options, keeping my lower strikes, so I can pick up either or hopefully both time decay and decay volatility. Um, so uh, uh, I've been, for getting the market direction, getting an F, I would say in trade management, I've got like a B plus. Um, you know, I don't give A's. So right. B plus <laughs> okay. is pretty good. Yeah. I did see something uh, that... Um, I found it kind of uh, interesting. I sent it to you. So Scott Galloway did a piece, and in there he said something like 80% of the Bitcoin is owned by 2% of the addresses. Something like that, right? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, but that should just like end the conversation. If that's true, then like why are we, you know? But, yeah, but, but, but if, I that's, that, if true, yeah, that's astounding. Yeah. Yeah, I... I I I don't know really what to make of that because uh so it's a public the, Ponzi scheme. On the bike ride, okay. I was thinking of the discussion uh of me always being in a bathrobe. And uh I think there's actually some truth to that. I think I spend more than my fair share of the time in the bathrobe, principally because uh, I'm going from one thing to the next very quickly. Okay, so I've got a bathrobe on now. Why? I got home at 1 from a three-hour bike ride. I got my kid off. I put the bathrobe on. I ate something. I made a couple of notes, and I ran right in to talk to you, right? Okay. And then I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to get dressed. When I talk to my friend Peter in Switzerland, you know, it's noon there, but it's like 5 a.m. here. Well, what, you know, am I supposed to have mm-hmm. a coat and tie? Okay. <laughs> but um, so it reminded me, and, and it, it sort of ties into this Bitcoin thing a little bit. So back in 
1999, we were running uh, large positions in Japanese bonds. And it, it wasn't just me. It was all of the, uh, what were, we were affectionately known as the gaijing, which I don't know if that means foreigner or American or scumbag or whatever, but uh, that's who we were. And, and uh, uh, collectively, we were killing it. We were doing sort of the traditional U.S.-style arbitrage stuff, which the Japanese didn't really get, understand. And so uh, guys like me were making a lot of money doing it. Okay. Sizes, amounts, dollars, it doesn't matter. But it was a very profitable trade for a long period of time. And because there's some bizarre rules in Japan, uh, the Japanese banks knew the Americans were all lined up one way, where we were uh, short the Japanese bonds and we were long the Japanese bond futures. And they ganged up on us and they, they marked the closing prices, which they had the right to do, at heinous levels so that we had these massive mark-to-market losses. And because they were the bank and they got to put the official close on things, there was nothing we could do other than just take it up the, the shooter, right? Okay. So at this point, uh, me and my team, we've got a big position in the Japanese bond futures. And I think uh, I've mentioned to you that I tend to be stubborn. And so um, the futures were very, very cheap. And uh, I decided, screw it. I'm, I'm not going to take this loss. I think that I'm going to make them deliver me the bonds. And then I'll figure out what I'm going to do with them. Okay. Well, so they deliver me the, the cheapest to deliver. They deliver the right security. But now, you know, Mr. Smart Guy, me, I've got like $2 billion worth of this piece of shit JGB, the Super Twos, they were called. Um, and nobody wanted them. Now, I, I got $2 billion of something nobody wants, and everyone knows that I got them. Okay. Now, I know that if I go to sell them, it's going to be, excuse me, <clears throat> anal rape, right? Mm -hmm. So... I'm not exactly sure what what to do because I'm sitting with them. They're, they're taking up room on the balance sheet. Um, and so scratching our heads. And you can trade things around them, right? If if it's a seven-year security and you think the curve's going to flatten, you know, you can sell some stuff in front of them and, and you know, cover something behind them or this, that, the other thing. But eventually I, I got to get rid of them. And... Um, it's an overwhelming size, two billion of, of these things. It's not the inactive, it's a deep, deep off the run that because of the tax laws there, nobody wants. And, okay. So, uh, you know, weeks go by, risk department wants to know what my plan is. Well, I, I came up with a plan and it sort of went like this. Um, Back in the day when 
um, you would write a check and give it to someone, and they would deposit it in a bank, and the bank uh, that the check was written on might be in Chicago, and you might be in New York. The check would go into a mailbag and go onto an airplane and fly from New York to Chicago, and sometimes the weather would be bad, and hence the term float. You familiar with this? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, there's all these seasonal things that happen in different countries, and that causes the central banks to come in and at certain times of the year, let's say Christmas, people take money out to buy gifts. Uh, so there's demand for cash, and the central banks will respond by adding reserves. And then there's times of the year, you know, let's make something up like the harvest when the farmers get all the money. Then there's a lot of money sloshing around, and so the central banks will drain reserves. Okay, to keep the balance. Okay. Sometimes they do it on a short-term basis, a day, two days a week, a month. Sometimes they do it on a permanent basis. Well, they do that in Japan, too. And in Japan, it's called a Rinban operation. So uh, Gaijing and Rinban, those are the only two Japanese words I, I know. And, and so far, that's all I've needed to know. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, they would have an open market operation. And what you would do would be you would say, uh, I'm going to offer you these securities at this price. And then they would get a list from everyone who wanted to sell stuff. And uh, they'd take a couple of hours. And then they come back and they say, okay, I bought some of those, I bought all of those, I bought none of those. And then people would figure out what they sold or didn't sell and then square up their position and, and move on. So as with all of these things, are you with me so far? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, as with all these things, there's rules. And so remember I said the banks get to put the closing quotes on things, right? Okay, so the rule was when you offered securities to the Bank of Japan through the Rinban, you would offer the securities based on a change from the closing quotes. So, for instance, uh, at 1 o'clock, you would say, I'll offer bond 18 at TSE minus 1. So... So certain bond, Tokyo Stock Exchange close one basis point lower than the close. Okay. And by law, they had to buy the ones that were marked down the most from the Tokyo Stock Exchange close or marked up the least. If the market mm -hmm. was okay. higher, you could say, okay. So uh, those prices went in at the close of the morning futures session. So it would be from, let's say, 8 p.m. New York time to 10 p.m. New York time. That would be the morning session in Japan. And then maybe from like midnight to 3 might be the afternoon session, something like that. Hence me sitting in my bathrobe. Understood. Right? Okay. So this is my plan. Over a series of weeks... I'm going to buy little bits of, and pieces of these bonds that I own 
buying more of what I own because I know that I pretty much own all of them. Okay. okay. So now anyone that's either seeing my asking for an offer or actually selling me some, now the price of the security, because it's thin, is going to start to move up in relation. You with me so far, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm it's pushing beautiful. up it's something that I owned, right? Because at this point, no one's going to push back. And so over a, a couple of weeks or a month, whatever it is, I get them up a couple of basis points, higher in price, better for me. Okay. So that's part A. Now, the second thing is the offers go into the Bank of Japan at the close of the morning session of the futures trading, right? So my plan is this. As we head to the close of the morning session of futures trading, I'm going to start buying as many of these futures contracts as I can and push the price up, right? And then when I go to offer my bonds to the Bank of Japan, I'm going to offer them cheap to the TSE close. So no one knows I'm doing this. So as the market's going up and everyone's getting ready to make their offers, they see the, the market go up, so they, they'll offer it TSE plus one, TSE plus two, TSE plus three, higher, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So about an hour before the prices go in, I start buying futures, pushing the price of the futures up. And with, I don't know, 10 minutes to go, I just buy as many futures as I can with the worst possible fills possible. Right, I've got two or three brokers. I'm putting in market orders for two lots, five lots, eighteen lots, hundred lots, just create sort of a frenzy, right? So by the time the morning session ends, the bond market is up, let's say, five basis points in price. Okay. So I offer my whole block of these piece of shit number twos at like TSC flat or something like that. Because I've been buying everything in the morning as it's been going up, right? So mm -hmm. my longs are making money. I put the twos in. They take 95% of them. Okay. And then I didn't buy all the futures I needed because I figured people were going to put offers into the Bank of Japan figuring they are going to sell them. And when they find out they didn't sell them, they're going to be long, and they're going to go, and they're buying futures. So anyway, I'll tell you, that was like the longest three fucking hours of my life waiting to see what happened. But it worked out okay. And, and I'm not going to say I'm a hero and made a ton of money, but, you know, I got out of a tight spot and, and pushed stuff around. So uh, that covers the bathrobe thing, because I did that all in my red terry cloth bathrobe. But it begs the question, if 2% of the people own the Bitcoin, right, and I had to use all the tricks in the book to sell $2 billion of a government bond, how are they going to sell all that, that Bitcoin? 
They're going to hold it. Hodl, baby. Yeah. If you liked it at 69,000, you must love it at 39,000. Wow. I watched that football game. I watched the NCAA uh, semi-pro college football situation on Monday night. All right. Packed stadium. You know what commercial they ran? Every single commercial break. Matt Damon, Crypto.com, Tom Brady, FTX.com. Um, yeah, it was just it was just every single every single commercial timeout, and that's a, that's probably the biggest thing viewed on Monday night, you know, the college football thing. But yeah, they're they're hammering that male eighteen to thirty five demograph with fortune favors the brave. Fortune well, favors. I wanted the brave. to I wanted to talk about the metaverse a little bit. I don't. We Please. Don't have, okay, we have, we have just the right amount of time. I'll I'll, I'll be brief. I I did see. Condom sales have plummeted. I guess that means no one's using condoms anymore. Um, so this this metaverse thing. So you have social media, right? So uh, depression rates are skyrocketing. Suicide rates are skyrocketing. Uh, obesity, right? The whole thing. So now what we're going to do is we're going to incentivize people to lie in their basement, put on goggles, and walk around a pretend world. Buy things. Buy pretend things. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen this? I went looking for it. This is so fucking good. A Saturday Night Live skit, back when it was funny, they had William Shatner at a Star Trek convention. Do you know about this? No, no, this no, no, is no, no. fucking killer. I'm, I'm, I'll YouTube it. And this is we'll fucking put it on the killer. Website. Okay. So he's basically he's at he's at a, a, a Star Trek convention, and someone says, "You know, I consider myself a Star Trek expert, but I was wondering on that last episode, and the guy knew the name, where you were leaving the Enterprise for the last time, and you went into your cabin and you opened the safe to get something important out of it." What was the combination of that safe? <laughs> and William Shatner's like, look at you. <laughs> it's a job I took for three years as a lark. He said, look at what you're wearing. Yeah. Get yeah, a yeah. life. And then, he, and then he looks at some guy and he says, have you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> and the guy... And the guy just bows his head in shame. And so I have this image, and kids muffs, okay? Mm -hmm. So I, I have this image of generic male sitting in parents' basement with the goggles on and a milking device attached to his private parts. <laughs> and it's like, honey, I'm making dinner tonight. What do you want? Oh, how about mac and cheese again, Mom? Mom, the meatloaf. Mom, the meatloaf, okay? <laughs> The meatloaf. How do we, uh, you know, you outlaw drugs, right? You make it expensive That's or difficult for cigarettes. Yeah. You, right? Uh, yeah. You got to be 18 to buy alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. But sit in your room playing fucking video games all day. Yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of video games, YouTube, um, we were somebody suggested that we put the show on YouTube. So I'm going to do that, if oh. not this episode, by next week, uh-huh. I, so that the people in the metaverse can like they don't have to use their pod; they can stare. I'll use you know your some of the nice headshots of you from like you know the early when 2000s. I was younger. Yeah, when you were younger. Yeah, <laughs> I'll use a nice headshot so people can just gaze at you during the show, um, okay. and I'll put it on YouTube. And then, um, do you want to? Do you want to give the the audience a little bit of the background of the stuff that we talked about about maybe potentially having some friends come come and talk um, sometime maybe come spring or summer? You mean or do like you want to leave that us? on the back burner? Uh, yes, uh, you know. So I'm a little I just want conflicted. To put you on the spot. No, no. I'm, I'm, trust me, <laughs> <laughs> that's my kill zone. Um, so here's the long and the short of it. Okay. Um. I I think that's a really tough situation because I have access to people that I have a lot of respect for, and I think it could be an interesting dialogue, okay? The problem for me is what I enjoy about this is I get to spend an hour with somebody I, f- I f- have great feelings for, and we have a discussion, and we let people come along for the ride. I mean... I don't know if I have yeah. XYZ guy on and I make some wisecrack uh, <laughs> about the metaverse and I and he starts schooling me on this or that. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's my show. No, I know. I'll take my <laughs> <Yeah>. ball. <laughs> exactly. Excuse me. I, it's our show. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. But you know what I'm saying? I, I, don't I know. do. I know. I know. But, but for the audience, Morris has some, some serious big guns up his sleeve that that i'm oh, working very, on okay you can nice. you can hear he's reticent and dragging his heels but i'm trying to get the uh the high quality top shelf real real brain trust that he has the, the, the first guest i'm thinking of doing master class is how to dj Saturday night. I'm in Queens. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get on the get on the subway and uh, head over to uh, what's the name of that place? Um, the Limelight or or oh. Exit or the Sound Factory. And maybe DJ D Saul's out tonight. You know? Did you ever see that uh, Usual Suspects? The movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. I love that because they said I can put you in Queens and I the murder. Mm-hmm. Really, <laughs> I live in Queens. And go. Yep. Exactly. Uh, it's so good to see you, buddy. All right, pal. I will talk to you next week. Okay. Be well. Thanks, Take man. Care. Bye. Cheers.